Welcome back to QAVTK. This is episode 606. We're recording on Tuesday, the 7th of February, 2023. And you still have the COVIDs, Tony. Mm, I do. Hopefully getting over it soon. That's no good. But you were you sounded all better last week, but then uh, not so good later on, huh? Yeah, I went back downhill again. So, um, yeah, hopefully clearing up this week and I can get on with life. But I'm um, still testing positive and but apparently that could happen for the rest of my life. I mean, they, I don't think they put too much emphasis on testing positive these days, but uh, I am. So uh, just keeping a low profile, trying to get better. So not going out, staying home mostly? Oh, God, yeah, no, just staying home. Even not even really, you know, I'm just staying in, in my office and my room and the balcony. You mentioned to me last week that Jenny was waiting on your hand and foot. You're not just faking this, so she <laughs> keeps waiting on you, eh? It's, it's certainly been good. Uh, and I have to shout out to Jen. She's done a great job of looking after me, really has. So it's been great. But no, I'm not faking it. <laughs> I'd gladly, <laughs> gladly give it up and go outside again. Yeah, uh, okay. And get away. I've got, got my suitcase has been packed since Sunday, waiting to leave for a holiday. Mm. Well, um, I hope you feel better soon. Mm, yeah, that's all right. Thank you. Yeah, I always I always get uh, chest things worse than most people, unfortunately. Yeah, bit of sort of like asthma-y thing. Yeah, I was a, had an asthma as a kid. Well, uh, let's talk about the market. Uh, been a been a funny old week on the all odds. If you look at the chart, the weekly chart, it looks funny. Like last week, it would uh, go up every morning and then crash in the afternoon. Go up in the morning, crash in the afternoon. Go up in the morning, crash in the afternoon. Did the opposite today, sort of crashed this morning and then seems to have recovered. Last time I checked, it was up a couple of points, I think, by the well, last time I looked, around about lunchtime. Our portfolio went up a little bit, dummy portfolio last week, uh, NHC stabilised, but uh, we, we're now running at 17.7% CAGA per annum since inception versus our benchmark, the STW, which is running at about 8.2% per annum over the same time period. So we're doing a little bit better than double the STW since inception, which for new people was uh, the beginning of September 2019 when we filled up our first portfolio. Still way behind for the financial year, but I know you've got to, you're going to talk about this later. It's been a really sort of record beginning of the calendar year for the ASX. And I think the US market's uh, having a bumper year as well. Talk a little bit about that later on in news. Commodity updates. A lot of commodities became Josephine's uh, this week. Iron ore, gold, copper, zinc, and tin all became Josephine's. Got a feeling iron ore was already a Josephine, but Alex said it had just become one. Do you remember what it was last week? I don't, sorry. I think it was a Josephine, but I can't. And... Just wanted to draw attention to coal, to thermal coal. It's, I checked it this morning. It's very close to a sell, even though it's, it's technically it's a Josephine, but it, I think it'll be in a matter of days if it keeps going, it's going to be a sell. Right. Well, that's going to have a big impact on our portfolio. We've got a lot of coal stocks. Yeah. And I was just looking at the charts. It's like, I think last month it dropped something like 30 or 35% the coal price. So it's down a lot. Coal price, that is? Yeah. Thermal coal price. Yeah, I think we got a question later on, a late question that came in just about uh, coal and uh, fudging cell lines and that kind of thing, but it might be too late anyway. Yeah, you don't need the budget, I don't think. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cross pretty soon if it keeps going. Yeah, 
NCM takeover bid, Tony. Did you read about this? Is it across the medias this morning? Oh, yeah. It's been in the Infin Review front page for a couple of days now. Right. Newmont, the $24 billion dollar bid for Newcrest. I think we've owned Newcrest maybe at some point, but it's not in our portfolio at the moment. No, it's, it's the biggest gold company in Australia. And uh, it's been a chronic underperformer, probably because of its size. I mean, there were issues around management a little while ago, and I've got an acting CEO now. So I don't know if they've, they're making attempts to clean it up, I guess. But um, it, it's, I guess it's a bit like uh, big mining companies everywhere. But if you're a small gold company and you acquire a mine, it makes a big difference to your share price. But if you're a company as big as Newcrest and you open up a new mine or acquire another one, it doesn't make it doesn't really move the needle, so to speak. So they tend to just um, trade with the commodity cycle and underlying earnings, but um, no, it hasn't been much. I think it's actually over time, the share price has gone down in the last 10 years. Well, I'm looking about a, a year ago, it was trading at 22.99, went up to 28.8 February last year then fell down to $16.80 and is back up at $23. So if you'd, you'd managed to buy it when it turned around, it was hasn't been a bad investment over the last six months. No, and I don't recall it being on the buy list. It's just like, yeah, it's just been too big, too lumbering, I guess. And, you know, biggest gold miner in Australia. So it's picked over a lot by the analysts. So it tends to trade at, you know, kind of at least fair value, if not a premium, which is something that just doesn't get onto our buy list. Okay, well, we miss out on that then. <laughs> well, it's not, it hasn't been accepted yet. This is like, this is the first, this is the toe on the door. This is a knock on the door from Newmont. And Newmont and Newcrest used to be the same company. They, they've had this habitual split, acquire, divest. It, it, they've, been, they've certainly been an investment banker's friend over the last 10, 20 years or so. So uh, nothing may come of this. The current premium is, I think, about 23% or something like that, it said in the paper today. So it's not an exciting sort of takeover offer. I, I suspect it's just the first salvo. Right. But it has had a good six months share price-wise. Would have been nice to have held it. But there you go. Yeah, and, and the gold price has gone up in the last six months, so that's probably why. Uh, moving on to a different mining company, WHC. Annette asked a question on our Slack channel about their coal breakdown. I had them down in my spreadsheet as coking, but she picked up in their annual report, they're actually reporting 82% thermal and 18% metallurgical slash coking in their FY22 report. So I just wanted to point that out for anyone out there that's uh, got thinking about WHC or owns WHC, they're really tied to the thermal price, which as you said, is about to become a sell. So update your notes on that if you're holding them. The RBA supposed to lift rates in about 10 minutes, Tony. An announcement coming. Yeah, they are. It's uh, RBA first Tuesday of the month, so RBA day. They didn't meet in January because it was a month off for them, their holiday. But they're, yeah, randomly, you know, most economists expect them to lift rates either by 0.25 or half of 1% today. And this is because the economy's just doing too well? Well, CPI's up. I don't know if the economy's doing that well. It is, it is not doing too badly, but it's, it's CPI. And, and I don't know if raising interest rates is going to have the effect the RBA wants, really, because I suspect that 
inflation isn't being driven by spending. I mean, there has been a lot of spending out there because the RBA dropped rates during COVID and there was a big cash splash. So we're at the tail end of that. But uh, And certainly raising interest rates will dampen the economy for sure. But I suspect it's a supply chain issue. Like, you know, the war in Ukraine is going to have a bigger impact, I think, on on whether we have inflation and uh, people's spending habits in the main. They obviously both contribute to it, but um, I don't see how raising interest rates is going to solve high oil prices, high gas prices, paying more for building materials, et cetera, et cetera. So what can the RBA do about a supply side squeeze forcing prices up? Well, nothing. It's not in their remit. It's it's, as Warren Buffett's always said, if if your only tool is a hammer, everything's a nail. So they see inflation going up and they raise interest rates. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do, right? Because interest rates were artificially low and there was an asset bubble. So I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do. And we're probably only going to get back to, you know, what I would call a neutral setting. So we've, you know, over my lifetime, 4%, 3 4% RBA rates is about what they normally are. So we've been through a period of of very low rates, which has led to house price bubbles, asset bubbles, stock market bubbles, growth stocks, that kind of thing. So it's not a bad thing to list, lift interest rates, but central banks do have a, they're a bit like a you know helicopter pilot trying to work the joystick and bring it in for a smooth landing. I mean, if you ever watch a helicopter land, it doesn't come down smoothly. It jerks, it gets hit by the wind, it buffets, it goes up, it comes down. That's what we're in for, unfortunately. And if you're in the Gold Coast, you just might end up hitting another helicopter. Uh, Okay, well, we'll obviously keep an eye on that and we'll have to adjust our spreadsheets if the rates go up again. Mm -hmm. AFR had an article in Chanticleer. I think it's still Tony Boyd writing. I think I don't know if the handover's happened yet, but it was said, um, it's entitled Ray Dalio, Kathy Wood and the Fate of the FOMO Rally. So anything with Ray Dalio in the headline, I'm going to read it. The stunning rally on the ASX and Wall Street is starting to have some echoes of bullish frenzy in 2021, but the backdrop is very different. And it goes on to talk about uh, how a lot of stocks have been booming recently over there. Facebook's owner Meta rocketed 23% higher. Who else did we have here that we're talking about? Kathy Wood's ARK Invest Fund. Well, first of all, Meta Platforms year-to-date gain now stands at 50%. ARK Invest Fund, Kathy Wood's uh, fund, is up 28% in January. Its best monthly gain on record. Elon Musk's Tesla is up a staggering 74% this year. And on the ASX, uh, they were saying that um, James Hardy was down 46% last year, is up more than 30% in 2023. That's crazy. Hogan plunged 55% in 2022, up 26% this year. Zip, the uh, BNPL firm, down 83% last year, is up 21%. So uh, are we going into another sort of crazy bubble frenzy? So we just got out of a bubble. We had a bubble, <laughs> then we had a crash, and now we're back in a bubble again already? What's going on? Oh, well, classic fear and greed. I think you posted something on Facebook during the week saying that the economy would work better if we had an artificial intelligence allocating the resources. But I'm not sure the share market would work because uh, it needs human emotion to swing like a pendulum. But all those stocks you talked about are up this year, but they're still a falling knife. They're all much lower than what they were 12 months or even more ago. And Tesla's a classic example of that. It's up a lot this year, but it's 
below what it was 12 months ago and it's that was below what it was 12 months before that. So if you have a look at the graph, it's a falling knife. They all are. And this is classic dogs of the Dow. So at some point, something gets sold off and gets oversold and the pendulum swings back the other way. People say, ooh, Tesla looks cheap. I'll buy some. And they come back in. Although, I mean, what's the, the backdrop to this and what Ray Dalio, I think, is alluding to is the fact that people are trying to second guess the Fed. And there's now signs in the longer term dated bond market that uh, bond traders don't think that we're going to go into a recession or if we do, it's going to be shallow and not, um, not too difficult. And so people like Kathy Woods who are, you know, relying on low interest, lower interest rates are saying, look, this could mean the Fed's going to actually drop interest rates in the future. And that's good for all these growth stocks. So that's what she's pinning her hopes on. And she's a, a cheerleader for that. So rah, 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 and her stocks are up. Personally, I like the headline. It's FOMO. It's fear of missing out. It's, it's completely driven by human emotion, fear and greed. And uh, it's, it's foam. It's, it's noise in the market as far as I'm concerned. A couple of things I noticed in that article. It was actually a really interesting article because it, it talked about a number of other metrics going on in the market. And I, should, I was going to point out that we've had the best January start to the share market in ASX history. It was up something like six and a quarter percent. So that's quite a lot for a month. And again, that's driven by people thinking that the RBA is going to at least slow down its rate of interest rates and perhaps even start to drop them in the second half of the year because the, the share market casts a nine-month shadow usually and people looking out what's going to happen in nine months when they make their um, decisions on what to invest. I'm not sure about that and I don't predict, so I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. But I mean, that's a big bet to make, trying to guess what the RBA is going to do or the Fed's going to do. And and then to see that start to take off and to join in because it's taking off, there's a lot of human psychology in that, and uh, which is all driven by fear and greed and hope. So I'm not sure it's going to end well. But anyway, the article was good because it talked about some other things. And I think in the first, the first uh, bit of the article, it talks about how stock market strategists only six weeks ago were saying that the market was going to tank this year because there's a recession coming. And then uh, six weeks later, they're saying, oh, no, the Fed's, the Fed's done with raising interest rates. It's going to be great. And so the stock market's had its best January on record. So, you know, fair income, putting your faith in stock market strategists, what a, what a waste of time that is. And six weeks, they've gone from black to white. So that's, that's just crazy. The other interesting thing I saw was the, it's the, what's called the weight of money argument, which I've always put a lot of stock in. So the author of the article talks about the fact that there's billions of dollars of cash sitting waiting to be deployed. And they were speculating whether or not this kind of rally would drag that cash back into the market and it possibly is starting to. But whenever I've seen cash building up on the, on the sidelines, it could take a long time before it gets deployed, but it generally is the first the first signal at some stage in the next six months or so, there's going to be a stock market rally, which may be happening now, but that, it's called the weight of money argument. And, it, and when cash sits on the sidelines, it can't sit there forever. It will get deployed at some stage and that's when the market will start to take off again. So that was interesting. And uh, the last point I wanted to make, there was a, a line in the article saying that uh, retail investors were getting back into the market this, uh, this January, which is, makes sense given the, the share market's up. But it had a stat there saying that Retail shareholders had a record month and they, they made up 23% of stock and ETF trades in the US. And that I sort of scratched my head and said, that means there's 67% of institutions buying ETFs. And I just 
don't get that. If you're an institutional investor and you're charging someone to manage their money and all you're doing is going and buying an ETF, well, I mean, well, you go for a long lunch. Money for jam, isn't it? Not, you know, but that's, yeah, again, it's, I point to the fact that we're in a strange industry where people put their fee income objectives ahead of uh, what's right for their clients. But if you check your funds, if they're holding lots of ETFs, do it yourself and save the fees. Well, on one hand, we criticize funds for not being able to match the index, let alone beat the index. So they listen and they go, okay, well, we'll just buy the ETFs and <laughs> we can't be criticized for not beating the index or not matching the index performance at least. Yeah, look, I get it for some in some cases. Like if you know, if I was running a super fund and I thought we should have some exposure to international shares and I thought it was cheaper to buy an international ETF rather than to hire an international team of stock pickers, maybe it makes sense. But then you start to question whether, you know, your super fund needs exposure to international shares if it doesn't have it. Like what's wrong with local shares or whatever else? It gets back to this whole allocation fallacy that the stock market goes on with about how much you have to have in each asset class as diversification to protect you from a downturn. But <laughs> when the shit hits the fan, everything turns brown. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't discriminate. Well, you know, whenever I do our portfolio reports each week and I look at the ASX this financial year and it's up like, like the STW is up about 22% for this financial year versus I think we're running at about 7%. You know, that's, that's crazy. That's a big difference. Like there's a lot of money going into the market out there in uh, this financial year. It's been Crazy. In, in a market where we've got war, we're COVID in China, supply chain issues, you know, countries paying more for energy prices all around the world, et cetera, et cetera. Interest rates going up uh, constantly, you know, every, every month or six weeks, interest rates are going up here and in the US and around the world. And yet the market is still booming. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, think about what the market is. We're talking about the top 20 stocks because that's going to be most of the performance of the STW or the ASX. So four major banks, two supermarket retailers, Woodside Energy, BHP, Rio, there's half of it. All of those are benefiting from either higher interest rates or higher commodity prices. So that's, that's why the market's booming. And we don't, when the market, when those stocks boom, they tend not to be on our buy list. So I think that's what well, I think we have. I have Woodside and I have Macquarie. So I've got two of the top 20 stocks, but that's probably about it. Well, I just bought some NAB myself last week and NAB, I bought NAB and Westpac for light portfolios. They were on our buy list. So they haven't been booming or at least they're still a buy for us. Well, we sold, I sold NAB a month or so ago because it went below its either rule, I think it's rule one line or it's no, three PTL line. So. But the banks have been doing well, as, as they do in a rising interest rate environment, because they, they're slow to put up savings deposit rates, and they're quick to put up mortgage rates, of course. And the same thing with supermarkets. They're, uh, they cry food inflation, and they put their prices up more than their suppliers put their prices up, and their margins increase. That's all happening. Now, you know, does that mean we're silly not to buy those? Maybe, but we stick to our knitting, and, um, you know, eventually they'll slow down, and value stocks that we hold will increase more. And just on that, there's been some fantastic results in the last week or so. I mean, Macquarie came out today with a good result. Their, their share price is up, which is great because I, I think I've owned them since they're about $1.60 and they're now getting up close to $2 again. So that's been fantastic. 
Janus Henderson Group came out with good results last week and their stock price went up at least 10%, 10% in the first day. So this is this is how QAV is meant to work during reporting season. We we hold stocks and they and they're good companies and they produce better results and their share price goes up. Um, Credit Corp put out good numbers. Um, they went down because they were calling a flat uh, forecast, but they they recovered again as people realise that Credit Corp perennially under under promise and over deliver. So and that's probably going to be the theme of this reporting season if there is one that. Um, Company CEOs tend to have a bit of a herd mentality. So interest rates are rising. They're all going to say, oh, we can't give any guidance. We don't know what's going to happen, whether people will slam their wallet shut, whether they'll keep spending. So best we can do is to say, we'll probably do as good as we did last year. And that's that's sound conservative guidance giving, but the market will sort that out over the next coming, a couple of months. And there'll be some winners in there, which are going to keep on doing as well as they've been doing. Typically, the quality companies. As Buffett says, a quality company is one that can put its prices up in a rising interest rate environment. It's funny. If I go back and look at the three-year chart for the dummy portfolio and I look at where our major peaks lie, the major spikes in the value of the portfolio, they tend to happen end of February and end of July. There's some others, October, but uh, yeah, sort of... March, April, and uh, sort of, yeah, July, August. So reporting periods. No, exactly. When the new numbers come out. Right. <laughs> I'd never realized that before. So that's that's where we get most of our growth is around reporting periods. Yeah, right. Well, that's typically what happens. We, we jump 10 or 20% and then we hang on and the next reporting period comes out and we jump 10 or 20% and we hang on. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, we'll see if it holds true this time. Now, speaking of reporting, I know Nick Scarley came out with some numbers and somebody asked if you'd do a pulled pork. We've got some questions about Nick Scarley this week. I think you're going to talk about them. I am, yeah. Just in the news, the last couple of things. Uh, so I spoke about the stocks improving, which is good. Quarry, Janus Henderson, CCP. But I did want to point out a on the flip side, OpenPay, one of the BNPL stocks, is now at administration, and that was announced today. That their high was around four dollars twenty-eight during the BNPL craze a year or two ago, and the last trade was twenty cents, and now they're zero. So I only mention that because we keep seeing this bubble burst cycle in the market, and people keep falling for it. So. I think this is going to happen to some of the lithium miners. They're going to, some of them will do okay. Some of them will go up, come back and keep trading, but some of them are going to go to zero. So just be aware of that if you get carried away with uh, with tips or FOMO or anything like that uh, with the latest bubble, just be careful. Well, you know, it's sorry, before you go on, this whole thing about human behavior getting sucked in, I, you know, I, I see that in like uh, media coverage for geopolitics and wars and that kind of stuff too. I don't know, there's this, you know, Twittergate thing that Matt Taibbi's been reporting on. Columbia School of Journalism came out with a major report a week or so ago talking about how the mainstream media in the US basically just lied through their teeth and made up stuff with the whole Russiagate thing when they were, from 2016 to 2020 when they were trying to tie Trump to Putin and it was like constant wall-to-wall stories about Russia's infiltration of the Trump campaign, Trump administration. And it ended up as nothing. There was no evidence really that could tie, you know, some guys had some connections with some businessmen 
but there was really no nothing there like the media and the media was portraying and Columbia's School of Journalism came out and just tore the mainstream media to shreds. Mainstream media are doing their usual mere couple. Oh, yeah, maybe we did get a little bit carried away there. We will never do it again. And I was like, well, I, we've seen this before. Like they did that with the Iraq invasion. There's always this people who should know better get caught up and just believe these stories whenever the media sees an opportunity to sell newspapers or sell, you know, increase their ratings for their TV shows, their radio shows. They jump on it. People fall for it. A few years later, we find out that there was nothing to it. And they go, oh, whoops, we shouldn't have done that. Mia culpa, we won't do it again. Then it happens again. And the same people fall for it every time. And the same thing, probably true in investing too, right? People just fall for the cycles, get caught up in it over and over and over. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the first point to make is that a business's um, incentives are always misaligned to the customer's incentives, usually. So because, you know, they're trying to sell you something and at some point they'll realize that uh, they can hold their nose and sell it to you even if you don't really want to buy it. So if it bleeds, it leaves, and that's good for, for newspaper sales and media sales. Um, it's good for politicians because they can get people all worked up to, to support an agenda or to castigate someone. So, yeah, it's, and it's the same. It's exactly the same in, in almost every industry, really, not not just um, newspapers, as you say, financial services. But yeah, I mean, uh, Buffett's been saying for years, buy an index fund or do it yourself. <laughs> it's like it's such a simple mantra. And yet there's this whole worldwide industry out there which just bypasses that thought because it's not in their interest. And I, that's probably the same in almost every industry, really. And the people, I mean, I don't know, it's just human nature. We just fall for it over and over and over again. Yeah, well, part of the fact is it is fresh meat. I mean, a lot of people don't pay attention to the stock market and then they come into a little bit of money and it's a bit like, uh, you know, honey to a fly. They they attract all kinds of advice and tips and things and and without experience, they, they get sucked in. So I completely understand it and forgive, pe- forgive the people for it. I just don't forgive the, the institutions that take advantage of it. I caught up with an old mate of mine from Microsoft uh, for coffee uh, a week or so ago. He was there before me. He was there during the like the boom times in the share price in the late 90s when Microsoft's share price was going gangbusters. And um, I said to him, you still living on those Microsoft millions? And he laughed. He said, dude, I got caught up with everyone else. So there was this, there was a, a, a firm who remained nameless who did the rounds at Microsoft, I remember meeting them at some point, they would go to the Microsoft uh, employees and say, look, your shares are booming, they're great, you should take out margin loans against your share portfolios, your (laughs) options, uh, because it's always going to go up. Look, they've been going up, they've been doubling every year for 20 years, they're always going to double every year, so you can, yeah, yeah, fine, the banks, you know, whoever it was that was providing them with these margin loans. Of course, the dot-com crash happened. And the DOJ case happened and Microsoft shares halved, I think, and then didn't move for uh, quite a long time. And apparently, like, lots of Microsoft employees got burnt and ended up having to sell houses and holiday houses and boats and <laughs> luxury vehicles. And it was, they were fresh meat, I guess, for this firm. Yeah. It was just going around selling them on these ideas of this idea of margin loans against their options portfolios too. Yeah, wow. One of the problems, if you're a Microsoft employee, is you're rich on paper when your share price goes up like that, but you 
until you sell something, you don't get the money. So if someone comes along and says, hey, I can use that for collateral and suddenly you can go and buy a beach house with it, yeah, I can see the attraction to it. But yeah, it's a dumb thing to do. But I wouldn't have known it was a dumb thing to do no. back then. I'm sure most people didn't know. You have a financial advisor come and tell you that this is what you should be doing uh, and everyone you know is doing it. <laughs> All of your colleagues and your bosses are doing it. Yeah, you just go, okay, this is the thing to do, right? Easy money. That came across my desk one day. I mean, I, <laughs> I won't name names either, but um, someone close to me and, and probably smarter, very smart, much smarter than me, came to me and said, hey, I'm doing this uh, agricultural investment that uh, this uh, my accountants put me onto, and uh, you should have a look at it because it's all tax deductible and it's this tea tree plantation, which, you know, is going to be the next big thing in multivitamins and oils and whatnot. And in seven years, I got this contract in place, blah, blah, blah. So I, I took it to my accountant, who was a pretty safe pair of hands that I trusted for a while, and he just went, mate, part 4A of the Tax Act, does it, it doesn't matter what, what sort of how you structure this, the tax office can just say, no, nah, that's an attempt to, to avoid paying tax. And the whole industry eventually got closed down. The government rewrote the tax laws to specifically cater for it. This person who was close to me lost all their money, plus they were then a recipient of a class action of you know people who were suing these tea tree owners for damages and Anyway, it was a real nightmare for them. And um, the basic rule is if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, and you know, if you're not sure, get it checked out by a, a tax advisor that you pay by the hour to give you impartial advice. Like the tax advisor to this person close to me who gave them advice was receiving commissions. Like it was free advice right? to, to this person close to me. However, they were making a lot of money out of putting people into the plantation schemes. I think that's our problem with QAV. People look at it and think it's too good to be true. It's probably a con. Yeah, well, possibly. <laughs> possibly. We should double our prices. Didn't we have a business <laughs> advisor early on who say we're not charging enough? <laughs> yeah. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week. It runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and, and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus 
and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.